Welcome to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Good morning and welcome to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws. We're here for another Zoom interview in this gorgeous April day. It's April 11th today. I'll probably be posting this April 12th, but it's sunny blue sky sitting outside in my parents' front yard. And fortunately, the neighbor has finished power washing and also the other neighbor has finished starting up his Harley. So long may that last and no dogs barking. Yay! Okay, so I'm here with Catherine Graham, all the way from Toronto. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. <laughs> Catherine twice, right? It's the Catherine Catherine Show. Yay! What a great name we have. And we spell it the same too, right? We spell it the same with a C, which I think is the most... Somebody was asking me the other day, so what's the difference between a C Catherine and a K Catherine? And I thought, well... The K Catherine is a newer instantiation of Catherine. The C Catherine goes way back to Russia in the 12th century, right? Somewhere around there. So it's yeah, it's got a lineage. And there's Celtic heritage too. And I know, like from the from the you know from the etymology of, of Catherine, I think. It, and this is lovely for both of us, Catherine. It goes to the word pure. So we are pure. We are pure, and also it means queen. Oh, I like that. Yes. That's good. Yes. And my last name, Owen, means warrior. So I actually, when I was in Ireland, I got, I got Banri Bethir uh, tattooed on me. And that's uh, Gaelic for queen warrior. So there you go. Look up what Graham is. And then you could be queen, you know, of your last name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to read Catherine's bio and then she's going to read us a poem and then we'll do our questions. All right. So Catherine Graham's latest book, Ether, an out-of-body lyric, was a finalist for the Toronto Book Award. While her sixth collection of poems, The Celery Forest, was named a CBC Best Book of the Year. A previous winner of Tifa's Poetry Now, she leads its book club, co-hosts the Hummingbird Podcast, wonderful, another poetry and art and inspiration podcast, Interviews for By the Lake Book Club and teaches creative writing at the University of Toronto SCS. Her next poetry book, Put Flowers Around Us and Pretend We're Dead, appears in 2023. Good, not too long to wait. And she also writes novels. I put a little smiley face there because I like to foreground poetry on this show. So I go, teehee, she also writes novels. Okay. <laughs> and she is also, oh, she. I met you, Catherine, in Toronto in maybe, what, 2012, 2014? when we read together at possibly Hot Sauce Words back when I was touring a lot, so all the venues and events kind of are melding in my mind. Yeah, yeah. But it was a wonderful time. That was a terrific uh, venue and series. Hopefully it's going to come back after the pandemic and we'll all get back out on the road. And she is also, as I was going to say, in my anthology of writing about mourning and place called Locations of Grief and Emotional Geography. Yes, came out from Will Second Win in the unfortunate year of 2020. <laughs> I was planning on traveling across Canada and reading with uh, a lot of the contributors to this anthology. But alas, that did not occur. But nonetheless, hey, go pick it up. It's an amazing read. 24 Canadian writers on mourning and place. Okay, Catherine Graham, where are you now? Well, I'm just holding up your beautiful book. And um, I have to say, I reread your piece, and it's just—it's really stunning. So oh, thank you. You. Uh, um, you brought us all together, but your your piece is beautiful, and people should read it just for that piece. So there you go. Oh, thank you. And and today happens to be uh, my partner Chris's twelfth anniversary of his death, so it has an extra special resonance to me to be doing this interview with you today because you also have written not just in your piece in the anthology, but in so much of your poetry and possibly your novels I think I'll have to read one of your novels too <laughs> on grief <laughs> okay could you read your wonderful poem a leash of deer please I'd be happy to a leash of deer untamable creatures spotted as trout lily camouflaged umber tawny branch with satellite ears air cup to the heartbeat of the ground extended line between sun dawn moon dusk a leash of deer which sight brought forth the first allowed leggy form to lift up and off the forest floor into white tailed leaps or red 
or rule. No matter. Kill. Suffocation. Quick throat slit. Kill and stop the leash of deer from spreading out. So when that fall night rears, a father driving home, one road away from home, no cloven hoofed ungulate on stone mill road, parting from a field of parting corn, from stalk and husk and rustle, beside a frog thick croaking ditch to trigger panic, the swerve, Mother would have made it back to bed, exhaling o's of alcohol through graying shades of stubble, and a daughter would awaken to the muffle of his morning snores through cedar walls, and not the 3 a.m. knocking at her bedroom door, the waiting cop. Mm. It's such a, a, a dense and, and, and delicious poem that... You know, I've read it a bunch of times and, and written questions on it, but even with you reading it again this time, I heard other sounds, other patterns, other oralities that I'd kind of missed the first time, like stubble and muffle suddenly jumped out at me. And I, I just love that about poetry. It's kind of what I live yeah. for, is all these these layers that you never really, if it's a good poem, you never really exhaust it. You can always return to it. All right, so the first question, uh, which is kind of super dense, and and you can go any way you want with this. Sometimes I write these monster questions, and then the the poet is like, what? Like, okay. It's it's kind of, I just get overwhelmed by the poem sometimes, and everything comes to me at once in this flood. Yeah, Yeah, no, wonderful. I I love that, because that's what it's like. You know, we're into a poem, we're receiving it. As you say, there's different things to receive each listening, and then also the way that things kind of rush out of you. And then you're on to the next thing and the next thing. So you've kind of got this sort of yes. overload of sensations. Yes, yes. It's not something that you can parse in a very, um, I don't know, kind of logical way as they try to get high schoolers to do, you know, yes. just chop that line up and then point out where the simile yeah. is. And then you have bits and pieces at the end. It's like, no, it should it should flow into you in this rush of, of feeling and form. Mm-hmm. You know, so my first question is, this poem, as with all your work, evidences a careful crafting of stanzaic structure and honed sounds from the title on, A Leash of Deer. What would you say the long line couplets, the repetitions of parting, or the internal rhymes of snore, door, or others, or the hyphenations, or any other prosodic decisions do for the poem's potency? Yeah, well, thank you that, thank you for the words potency or the word potency because that um means that it has impact so Mm -hmm. that's a good thing so thank you for that very much so Um, and i think for me thinking about that sense of long lines and extensions and couplings and kind of going back and forth um i think i was trying to if i go back to that sort of mindset um capture the sense of this concept of what a leash of deer could be Mm. i mean it's um a collective noun and i'd never heard of it before and i was um it was pre-covid time and i was uh, touring um in scotland and reading in scotland and i ended up in this little gift shop and i saw this coaster i can hold it up here it's uh had a leash of deer on it yeah and i had never heard of this collective noun before and i've had a thing for deer Yes. So long, so long. I mean, even before my parents died, I, I was um, connected to deer. And I thought, whoa, I have to, well, it was great because so many things you see overseas, you can't necessarily pack in your Right, suitcase. that's perfect. So I can pack. A nice little coaster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it came home with me. And as you know, Catherine, sometimes there's just these moments where we know there's a poem there, but we don't know when it will actually appear. Yes. But we know that there's something covering there for yeah, us. Yeah, something to, lingering. To, hopefully find something will come out yes so i knew that i brought it home and then i just started playing around with this sense of leash Mm. and thinking about the image of going back to something and that what if thing dealing with grief as you mentioned always um it's such a heavy hitting thing so you go into sometimes the mindset of what if even though it's not necessarily healthy you you want to go into that sort of magical thinking of like but what if? And, yes. and I think, too, even though it's not necessarily, maybe a therapist might say that, that you might not want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for art, it's where art lives. It's I the think so. of things and, and how things can exist and continue to exist in the imagination. So I think this idea, I, I started thinking about 
untamable creature spotted as trout lily camouflage umber this sort of sense mm. of the description kind of kicking off the poem and then thinking about sort of that sense of how the sense of um if there had never been a deer would this accident have happened for the yes. speaker in the poem with the father yes. um and then it just sort of started to sort of gain this sort of momentum and so um does that answer some of your questions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you. I mean, the way that the deer are leaping, the leash of them, that their movement, their yeah. the way they look, their energy, their, and their their energy that's both beautiful and devastating. That's reflected and mirrored in the words that you've chosen, and or that chose you. Sometimes it feels yeah. that way. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny saying that, and people always think it's some kind of mystical thing. And I mean, there is a mysticism to it. But I, yeah. but I think it's also the opening of yourself up as a channel. And the more that you do that, the more that you are going to have these sounds and images and they're going to pour through you when they're ready. Absolutely. And I think that that's the thing. There's that sense of being ready. And sometimes we know there's something there. And even if we think, well, it would be really nice to sit down and write right now, but life can't always provide those moments for us. Yeah. So having a notebook, having some kind of way of capturing something, in this case, you know, the coaster, yes. um, knowing that there's some point, hopefully that that moment of, of discovery of what this is, this coaster, this 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 descriptor will somehow maybe work its way into a poem. Yes. Um, so, and not all poems come that way too, as you know, like there, there, um, there is mystery involved even in the way that they can come to us, but so sometimes it's such a physical kind of encounter. Yes. And I knew that I thought, okay, there's something there. Uh -huh. that, uh, yeah. Like the object is containing the poem before you yeah. can write the poem. Yeah, and, and like you said, um, being a receptor for what can come through, like the porous quality of the mind, the imagination, the words, the sounds, the sense, too, of how sometimes we're ready to write about something because mm. sometimes we're not ready. So That's right. Especially when it comes to grief. I mean, mm. there's sometimes that you just know you, you maybe could go there, but it might not be healthy for the spirit, the mind, the body. So yes. there's that sense of being protective too but yeah uh, also porous so there's there's that i think constant kind of um hovering and sh shifting to mm. find that where where am i in this particular moment as a creator to find my way mm. and it's not always easy but sometimes things just kind of come in and you can go with it yeah and trusting that i mean the object calls to you and you don't say oh i can just turn away from that you say no i accept it yeah. And I see that with writing routine, too. If you say, I accept that what I do is I write every morning, even if I don't write something worth much to the reader, the potential yeah. reader every morning, I'm still putting myself in the place of openness and becoming a channel and trusting. And that yes. seems to me the starting place for all art. Yes, I yeah. agree. And, and it's also, too, I mean, that's part of, as you say, practice so that when the thing is meaning in that direct way that creates something that you're really like, okay, this is a poem that I'm happy with, then all those other pieces that go prior to that are part of that poem too, right? Mm, like mm. nothing's wasted, Nothing. even though sometimes it can feel like it. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's what the, right? the whole notion of like compost, you know, mm -hmm. you get the, you know, the bits and pieces and then you think, well, this is all waste material, but of course it's producing soil eventually and yeah. maybe flowers. You, That's right. You know, exactly. Maybe vegetables. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. So this poem is an elegy containing, as you said, the what if of survival, which I think is really, and I never talk about grief as a phase or a stage, but it's like part of the cycle where you have to imagine the possible other endings, no matter what. What if I had talk to the person later that day or what if I had you know um invited them over earlier or whatever it may be uh I think that's a huge part of um as you said creating as well as grief is that you have to be open to these possibilities so the speaker's spell of prevention is also in there so what if and then also I can stop it somehow and how does poetry for you speak to death? Is it a form of eternal life or revenge or wishful thinking or all of the above or more? <laughs> <laughs> no, wow. I love these loaded questions. <laughs> you can enter them anywhere. <laughs> it just depends on which way you kind of go into them. Yeah. Right? So um, 
and I love that word spell mm. because I think too there's that sense of um, incantation of the words kind of doing that sort of hypnotic mesmerizing thing that allows us to actually move into places of grief and into dark places. So, mm -hmm. um, because I, I wouldn't be a writer if it wasn't for grief. I had no plans. I never had that teacher that inspired me that, I mean, I look back and think it's so obvious that I had all the qualities of what it right. kind of makes to have that sort of poetic way with the world, mm. but it was through grief and then through seeing a therapist who suggested I keep a journal. Um, and I started, you know, venting and trying to sort of get things out and that helped somewhat because I'm so um you're so alone in grief as well it's yes such a, lo a, lo a lonesome journey yes and at that stage too I was quite young and my peers couldn't relate oh. so I was going through things that generally people go through later in life right but, it's but like becoming a widow when, it's like becoming a widow when you know yeah. I was in my 30s yeah. and so yeah. you yeah you have the loneliness of grief like you said and then you have the extra loneliness of not being in the realm of time that these things could happen or usually happen. Yeah, yeah. there's a sense, there's a sense, I don't know if you find this too, but it's almost like, okay, if she can lose her parents, that could happen to me. Mm. And there's that sense of um, fear, I think. That's yes. You, you know, there's that, and I understand all of that, but yes. it doesn't necessarily help. It no, right. because but, you want um, people to be less selfish. That's how you feel at the time. Like, put aside your fear and somehow be there yeah. for me and my grief. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But then through through sort of uh, writing and having this sort of place of uh, putting things out on paper to have some kind of relationship with what was going on inside me, one day I just kind of went into a different place in my mind mm. and started playing with imagery and music and rhythm, came out, and I knew something different had happened. And I worked up the courage to share what I'd written with a family friend. And she's like, these are poems. You're writing poetry. And I mean, I knew what a poem was. I did well in English. But it was always dead men with beards. Yes. Young women in grief, right? Exactly. So, um, but it was that moment. It was that meeting place where I thought, okay, this is this is what I need in my life. How so old were you? Were you a teenager? Moment, it was really that before and after moment yes. and it was all connected to grief so if my parents hadn't died I don't know if I would be a writer really I mean I was going to be a teacher that was kind of where I was going or a psychologist I was interested in those two um fields right and, uh so I, I can't imagine not having poetry in my life and my parents fueled that that journey and they still come up in my poems so yes they've been integral to that so that sense of um looking at your questions about eternal life I mean I feel like um, part of, because they died fairly young, their mm. lives didn't necessarily come to fruition in a way that I felt that they could be complete people in the way right. sometimes we feel like our journey needs to continue. And they, of course, when when I'm younger, I'm not asking them questions that I wish I had. No, you're not thinking like that. So there's they they were holding these sort of. Uh, places of mystery for me and there were ways that I found going through my own life and through intuition and through this sort of inner world and different things that you kind of connect to including dreams and I started to see how things could kind of come to me to understand who they were and their own journeys not so much of what ether is about in mm. some ways but but then the deer has always been part of the journey as well too because um, I mean the speaker is is in third person but there is a sense of me in this poem because my father did die and there was a car accident and there was this sort of sense that it was a deer and then there was sort of this other side of was there a deer mm. and, and and frankly i love the way that poetry can hold the complexities yes. of something being there or not being there so um it it gives you that place to move into alternative uh, realities, um, possibilities, as you say. And I think it's so interesting how it can hold all of those things, just as your questions are holding so much. <laughs> yeah. I love the way that there can be vessels for holding as, you know, Whitman multitudes, right? Like, yes. I just think it adds so much to what poetry gives us. And I think there's a lot of fear with, um, well, what's the answer? <laughs> Always, Why is it holding yeah. too many things here, you know? So that's, that's right. a good thing. We need that. That left life, right? It's yeah. complex. It's mysterious. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, we don't have to come to one singular conclusion no, ever or interpretation. No. Were you a yeah. teenager in your 20s or like how young were you in your yeah, parents' Yeah, I was a teenager when my mom died and then just in my early 20s when my dad died. Oh, yeah. so hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can't so. imagine, you know, my parents are still alive and it just feels well, like... with them right now, right? I'm, I'm at their, their house. I'm at my childhood yeah. home. I mean, I, I have a weird yeah. stability with all my leapings and lungings and maybe... That's why I can leap and lunge, you know, yeah, but yeah. there's something about having your parents in your older life that, mm-hmm. it, you know, you, you're, as you said, you didn't ask your parents those questions when you were that yeah. age and you don't, you want to detach and remove yourself and define yourself as other, but yeah. the older you get, the more you can ask those questions mm-hmm. and come to know them in another way. So that's a beautiful yeah. thing. I was also thinking about the William Stafford poem about the where yes. he finds the deer and then traveling in the dark, yeah. traveling in the dark, and that moment of decision, mm-hmm. and how you know it's it's like your poem, one of these pieces that you can reread multiple times, and you can come up with different feelings about the speaker and the situation, and you know that 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 to me is is where poetry lies in in that repetition within the poem which is the spelling contation and then the ability for it to repeat in the listener the reader in their blood and 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 to be re-entered not just to be a toss-off thing that you know you go oh well that's the subject matter and then you cast it aside so well it's like a living it's like a living you know i mean that's i guess where we hope that we can do what we can in terms of our growth as artists, but to make it this living thing, it's not just something plowed on paper. And then then I think too, when it's read aloud, it brings it into its breath. It brings it to life. Um, But even you, you mentioning that, that the William Stafford poem, Traveling the Dark. I mean, I got goosebumps from hearing the title of of the, like just from talking about it. And there I'm thinking, wow, I'm just thinking about that poem. I'm getting goosebumps and I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's like what Emily Dickinson's about poetry you know it makes yeah. you so cold no fire can warm you you feel like the top of your head is taken off and you have to have a visceral tangible yeah. somatic reaction it's not just yeah. up in your head that's you know? right yeah. i'm all and, for and that i think that's um i mean and it's so immediate too i mean you don't have to think hmm, did i just feel something the yeah. body is in charge it's saying okay you're feeling that's right, right. So, that's right oh i love yeah. it it's so beautiful oh, yeah. Okay, so how is poetry specifically maybe a container of personal and human memory? So this is more a genre question. I know you now write novels as well. So does one genre do this better than the other genre? Where does poetry fit in this pursuit of recollection and honoring? Oh, again, these questions are are great. Massive! (laughs) (laughs) And I love that word container because poems are containers. I really think they are containers, but they, they don't always hold what they contain because they almost something else with the interaction with the reader you know mm. so they're they're like organic and they're alive and yet they are containers so but thinking um I mean it was poetry that was my first love yeah. I never actually thought I'd be a novelist let alone a poet and um you know I was writing about grief and that came up in my books and then it would come up in other ways but other things as well too um but I realized there were certain things that I couldn't address that wanted to be written about um and that's where the novel came in. Mm. So it didn't start out as a novel. They were more like little prose vignettes right. and little scenes. And it kind of like was like, um, I think back to, you know, when you're learning how to ride a bike, you get those trainer wheels and you sort of find your way and then, yes. whoa, then you're flying. Yeah. So, I mean, that took a long time. I mean, For I sure. was just sort of playing around and, and then realizing, um, and not having any confidence. With how do you how do you write a novel? <laughs> how do you write a novel? I still don't know. <laughs> so I still think, how do you write a poem? Right? Yeah. Like you, you know, you think you nailed it one, and then you're back to the blank page, going, okay, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but then Corey, um, you know, grief wanted to work its way into that poem as well too, or poem that novel as well too, and mm. different ways of exploring uh, family history and secrets and all of that which couldn't necessarily be done in poem form right um so it was almost like opening up the various sort of portals that poems did i feel like portals are kind of 
Uh, Michael Longley, a Northern Irish poet, yes. he has this wonderful description about how poems are like fountains mm. with water imagery, you know, like they kind of move yeah. up and feed into themselves. Yeah. And how prose is more like a river. You kind of uh, get on one, you and know, you, you flow. get on your boat, you kind of travel down and you come out at a different space. Uh. And, you know, and I think that there's a sense too that the novel works in a more linear way, mm. not always. I mean, it's poetic in its elements for me, being a poet, it has to be. Yes. But it's that sense too of how um, the form wanted to move in a ways that I... I had to allow it to happen so mm. it was more of a following rather than i'm gonna write a novel like again it just kind of happened organically as it and, should um, you know it, I, it's that? not it's not going to be any good if it doesn't happen organically you know well, i mean as it Catherine. should yeah <laughs> that's kind of how i feel about art yeah I, I mean i just i have to just trust that sort of process of something hitting me in such a way it's how i work i know it's not always the case i know sometimes people have charts and they'll kind yeah. of from sort of Patchouli. I guess that could work too, but that's not how my brain wants to do it. It just seems so mechanical to me. Are these people that say, oh, I think I'm going to sit down and write a novel because I'll make money doing that or I'll get a bigger audience. It's like, I don't understand that at all. You know, it's like people who sit down and they say, I'm going to write a poem for a contest. There's a certain theme and I'm going to write a poem on it. And I just, I don't understand that at all. And I mean, it seems to work for some people, but it just is strange to me. Because uh, it is all about the organic flow and listening and, you know, yeah. what's calling you. Mm-hmm. And if you're forcing it, how is it going to be any good? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, it is so much about listening, isn't yeah. it? And yeah. calling and, 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 and playing as well. There's a playing, playing. yes. A part of it. Yes, yeah. I'm glad you said that because so many... I think so many poets don't talk about play. And I think, you know, for instance, like multimedia work, like that's all about play. Like what can poetry do with music? What can it do with, you know, visual art and so forth? Like what Paul Vermeersch does, you know, the kind of commingling of those different forms of of interacting with your imagination. Mm -hmm. And that can only be good for your poetry. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you think that the does when you're writing poetry, would you work on a novel at the same time, or are they utterly distinct? Do you find that they speak to each other beyond, say, the subject matter? Or um, when I look back at sort of the the second novel um, is done now. I mean, it'll be launched in May, but it's actually physically done. So um, when I think back, I was also writing poems at that time, and again, the novel had stops and starts too. Right. So, um, but I've always had this sort of speaking of a leash. I've always had this kind of leash to poems and um, different ways that I'll be working in that way more so than novels like I don't know if yeah. I'll have another novel to be honest yeah. I mean maybe I will but I know well I don't know but I'm pretty damn sure there'll be more poems yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there better be yeah no kidding I think of poetry is like the core Yes, of everything and so anything else I do is kind of like yes. you know the the rays of the sun branching off this core light well Catherine you say the word core and that's like a key word for me and in addition to dear because core is like the the sense of core as in quarry and quarry is is the house that we grew up beside we live beside this water-filled limestone quarry and that has fueled so much of my work as well too and I think about like a quarry being a blasted landscape it's very much like grief in some ways and yes. how it's like so vulnerable in its openness and being you know ec- extracted for use and then in this openness this underwater spring appears and fills it and it becomes something else it becomes mm, water and stone mm, mm. and so that lovely sense of um transformation but it's still a wound and mm. so i think too like core i think that's such a great word it like core heart yes uh, the french word uh, the sense of core and, and as you know too you don't have to question that core like you know no. poetry is your core right? that's right so. yeah since i was three years old i remember oh, wow. that yeah oh, really? i wrote my first poem before i was four um, sitting you still under. Have that poem? I do. It was an awful little ditty, but it's only four lines, so I can recite it. It's yeah. I like trees and things that are pretty. I like me, and I like the city, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of sums up everything still for me. So oh, wait a here, let's look at this pretty and city. That's yeah. not like fat and cat. No, that's, that's true. It's no, it's more of a feminine rhyme, right? 
there's the era at work, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was about it was about three and a half or four because I started reading at three and started writing now, were your after that. Reading poetry to you? They were. They read yeah. poetry to me. Um, yeah, they gave me my first anthology when I was three. So wow. I was really, really fortunate that way. They never, um, they never said to me, why would you become a poet or why never? Yeah, um, wonderful. So <laughs> sometimes I think maybe they should have talked to me more about earning a living. <laughs> but, you know, I had the opposite situation of many people. My parents never talked to me about money or earning a living. <laughs> Come on. Very right? rich, very rich, very yeah. rich. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Definitely not financially, but in every other way. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go to the last two questions that I ask every Canadian poet. And I know you've already yeah. talked a little bit about how you started as a poet. So my question is, where, how did you start as a poet? And now, Leap, where are you today? But if you want to talk about any other aspects of what happened to you with poetry after you were a teenager and you first discovered it, how did you get into, you know, doing readings? And, you know, I know you're very into memorization and, and publishing and all that. How did that happen for you? Yeah, well, I went to Northern Ireland and studied over there and was really heavily influenced by the poets in Northern Ireland and um, Scotland and, and um, Ireland as well. And, um, and also um, because of that, and because that was my sort of um, beginning journey, even as a Canadian, when I came back to Canada, I really had to learn what was happening here because mm. it was pre-internet as well. So even when I would go to Waterstones in Belfast, the only Canadian poets I'd see on the shelves would be Margaret Atwood and Michael Andache. It's probably and still no the case. Either one, they're, they're <laughs> amazing poets, but but yeah. what else was going on, right? Yeah, so exactly. When I came back, it was I knew nobody. It was like really I used to go to the bookstore and just look at the shelves, and oh, yeah. and then just slowly started to see who the poets were and was living in Burlington at the time and then would make my way into Toronto and um, Paul Ramirez was running a, a reading series called the Ivy Lounge Reading Series. Oh, I read there. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I read there in 1999, something like that. Yeah. It, it was great. It was in that old house across yeah, the Yeah, it was terrific. And I had a chat book and Paul said, you know, come and read. So I did. And I actually had a manuscript at that stage, as you know. I mean, a chapbook's a big achievement. A yeah. poem is a big achievement, yeah. right? You're slowly working towards your first book. And I, I instinctively kind of just thought, well, I, I liked Paul's work. I wondered if he would have a look at it. And he said, sure. And so we met on, I don't even know if the pub is still there. It's Kilgore's on Bloor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so long ago. Um, and then, because um, I haven't been up that way, COVID, you know, you're sort of in your own little yeah, area zone. of Toronto. Yeah. But but we uh, sat there and he went through and then he looked at me and he says, you know, I'd be interested in publishing this. And I didn't actually know he was an editor at that oh. time. Editor of Insomnia. Yes, I remember. Um, and because I knew the way that we were sitting with the poems, talking about them, the way just, again, organic is kind of the key word yes. here. I, that's, that began my journey. And Paul's been editing all of my poetry books ever since. Yeah, so that's amazing. For that journey. And that's kind of, you know, the continuation. And it, and, and the, the book that you mentioned earlier, Put Flowers Around Is When We're Dead. Uh, Paul um, has accepted that and will suck and win. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, and I don't think anyone knows my poetry as well as Paul does. And so that's really helpful to sort of get that bird's eye view because, you know, you're so kind of close up to things yes. sometimes. So it's great yes. to sort of have that person who can kind of see things that you can't see. You're um, really fortunate. I, I, I mean, I've been with Wall Second Wind for 20 years now. And but I don't I don't consider myself to have any consistent editor. So I'll have a different editor for every book. Um, and so that's that's interesting. And of course, some presses, they don't really employ an editor. So you no. have to do your own thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's really, really important to have that extra set of eyes and, you know, feedback and response and that those echoes beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and somebody who gets your work, too, because there is that sort of alignment that needs to happen. It doesn't necessarily mean someone might not be a good editor, but they might not be a good editor for that particular writer. Yes, that, that for very, sure. It's a, it's a sensitive place. To for be sure. As an editor. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I, I definitely felt like that when I was working with Di Brandt on my book, Seeing Lessons. I felt like I liked her as a person, but we had this weird clash of editor-writer, and she'd keep right. making these very harsh suggestions. They weren't even suggestions. They were just harsh. <laughs> um, and I, yeah. you know, it was just this taken aback feeling of, you know, just in, just not the correct approach. No, so, no. Approach is key yeah. too. I mean, that's finding that that place too. Um, and um, yeah, I, I don't do well with harsh either, Catherine. <laughs> well, it's all about be being gentle, able to be gentle. Be gentle. <laughs> you want you want to be communicating, and harshness exactly. doesn't communicate. That's it, and, and it is a conversation too. Because yeah. at the end of the day, no one has the answer. What makes the poem the poem? There are so many decisions that that. You almost like just have to settle with. You're yeah. like, okay, I think it's done. It. It's yeah. just done as it's going to yeah. be. And then yeah. you think about someone like W.H. Auden, he'd go back and you'd see different versions. And some poets are like that too. I tend to just, they're done and I leave them. Me I, too. I remember having that conversation with Al Purdy in about 1997 or something. And and he was adamant that you go back to your old poems and you rework them totally and put them in a really? new book. Yeah, and I mean, you know, here I was, this kid, you know, and I was arguing with him. <laughs> that, no, you never it. do that. <laughs> I'm great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we always had this little combative kind of bond, he and I, because, you know, he was in so his 70s. So what was his reaction when you argued that? What happened? Oh, he just, he just kept arguing. Like, he, he, he was a pugilistic fellow, so. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yellow flowers in his <laughs> argument. For sure. No, he was such a character. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. Obviously, that what works for one person might not work for another. Sure. We all have to find our own way with it as well, too. That's that's the thing as well. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And yeah. then that, that trust for our own what you know mode of composition and for the, the, the way that we work and Yes. for what we need in an editor or what we need in a publisher and so forth. This takes a long time to evolve. It does. You know? It does. And it is, it is, and it can go into the wrong places too. I mean, for it, sure. It, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, most of the time you can get yourself out of it. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> so, so you've got all kinds of stuff going on because you've got your novel coming out and you've got a book of poems coming out next year. So that's well, yeah, as you know, too, these things are in the works for so long that so um, long. Don't we have you know, to be so patient? We have to be like the most patient people ever. Like, it's just, it's outrageous. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah, you, just, you just sort of have to, yeah, I don't know. But it just, and then all of a sudden things just sort of pop up. Like you say, the compost, there's lots of compost lots. in my life, Catherine. Yeah, <laughs> mine too. Mine too. <laughs> I know I have manuscripts I finished six years ago that still haven't found a publisher and they probably will in three years or five years. Yeah. So, and then people yeah. will say, it's your new work. And you say, <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. not really. Yeah. No, not at all. It's a former no new. new. By the time things happen, something becomes old. Even, even when you put poems in journals, it's like, Oh, that's old now. Too. Oh right. yeah. And then when you go yeah. on tour, I find I have to really work to get myself back in the book again. And I find if I do something like, say, sing at the beginning or have a memorized poem or I have to find some way. One book I started reading back to front. Like there has to be, yeah, some way to refresh your engagement with it. So then you can, yeah, you can translate it better to the audience, which is so important otherwise why waste your time finding out new things in it too doing that all the time all the time yeah Yeah. so it's another excavation you know an organic excavation oh there's that word excavation (laughs) i love it back to quarries yes yes (laughs) i was just thinking when you said container and then you were saying the the image of the fountain and then i was thinking of a container with tentacles you know So, yeah, so you have the container like of the poem, then how it reaches out to the reader. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then, and then right. the octopus then, kind I of. Mean, I, I mean, that's a creepy thing, but I like creepy. <laughs> yeah. And then it's tentacles sucker back onto the container. Yes. It, I think we should have like some kind of maybe game or horror show with that, with the poetry sort of uh, fountain and it's going around. Oh. Yes, right. Exactly. We need more people to engage with the poem. 
Yeah, I love working with students with poetry because I do it so differently than their high school teachers do it. And in yeah. watching their eyes being like, oh, you know, like <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. Absolutely. You know? and, and in that moment, too, that they'll remember that and that will be their that will be their before and after moment, too, which is. Such oh, a good yeah. Isn't that so wonderful about being any kind of teacher is you yeah. get to experience that moment. Me. I know I'm the same. And I, I and you get to spend time with poems. And even um, if you 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 know the poem and, and, and so on, there's something new that will appear because someone will bring their own life experience or some kind of insight that will open up the poem even more. It's like, endless. yes, you can yes. learn about poetry. So true. Okay. So tell me, here's where we get slightly critical, possibly tell me yeah. what you would change about the Canadian poetry scene and what you still love about this often strange world. Yeah. What would I change? You know, I've been thinking a lot about how there's such a focus on the new. Mm. It's always so about much. what's coming out. The right? first yeah. book from the youngest poet ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I think about like all of the material that's out there that once that sort of little window of well, this is what's new. Then what? what? about this massive amount that's still there and existing? Yes. And needs attention as well. Right? Yes. So. And even when I think about, you know, journals and, and um, you know, sometimes you, you hit it and it's like, yep, they take your poem. Other times, like, no, they don't want it. I mean, you have no control over no. that. And that yeah. sense, too, of finding your own value in the sort of outside world versus the inner. Because we know it, we're talking core. It's never going to go away. No. So, but you also make that decision that you want to share your work right yes so so but there's barriers sometimes to share there it are. and there's barriers sometimes to find out about what other people are doing mm. so i think it's sort of this um it's it's sometimes i feel it's anti um art if that makes sense even it, though it's promoting art so that, true so, uh, yeah i mean I, I hope that makes some kind of sense yeah no i was just thinking about how because there's so many mfa programs and the young poets are frequently coming out of these programs. So, I mean, young and new has always been a marketing strategy, right? right? The first right. book from the young, new voice is very much a marketing strategy. So what we need to do as midlife, supposedly, Canadian yeah, poets, yeah. is we need to, and I hate, I really hate the word rebrand, but there's something about like, you know, being, being able to write poetry and publish poetry for 25 years is not nothing. This is exactly. a serious achievement. It's yeah. so hard to keep going financially, yeah. your, your belief in yourself in, in a lot of ways, you know, your energy required. So mm -hmm. let's rebrand the midlife poet as, you know, coming from this, this history, this grounding, this foundation, right? How exciting it is that yeah, somebody would still keep creating. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I think we've just, I think we should just start something. Well, I know, Catherine, I know how much you do. Like, yeah. we're so lucky to have you in the community as a reviewer, as a lover of poetry, with your podcast. You're celebrating voices that aren't always out there. You're celebrating yeah. poems. Yeah. Talk about the word pure again. Like, that's coming because you believe in this and you want to spend time and share it. So um, yes. we need that. Yes. And not just, not just what the next book is. I know. know? I mean, it's not the only I mean, thing I'm happy going to on. Have books coming out. Don't get me wrong. I'm not no that or anything. But I feel like, as you say, there's 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 so much out there yeah. that um, I I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what I, I mean. And you were also in my other twenty three and a half hours book talking about memorization. That just reminded me. That that's, right. that's what I was trying to do with that book, was try to say that, yes, it's all great and wonderful, the publishing of the book or the poems in the journals or the winning yeah. of the awards, but this is only a small part of what it means to be in a literary community. Mm -hmm. And I think if more in the MFA programs, if that's what people are doing these days, more was about... Um, you know, running podcasts or writing reviews or, you know, hosting series or other ways that you can make poetry live in the world, yeah. then yeah. it would be more validated and people wouldn't just think, oh, this is a waste of time or I'm not getting yes. paid X amount of dollars for it or anything. So mm -hmm. I shouldn't do it because you can't have that reductive attitude uh -huh. when it comes to art. 
Mm-hmm. And, and where's the awards for poets over 40? Why is it always right. first book awards or under 40? It's a, it's a serious, you know, amount of work to keep on going. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> I like this rebrand. Yeah. It's, your first book is the easy part. It's the easy That's part. Right. That's I mean, right. Yeah. It's like, here's the sprint. Are you going for the marathon Exactly. Now, right? Yeah. Because you're going to lose breath halfway through most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing, too. When we are in that space of creativity, nothing can touch it. And that's what I love. But so it's finding that protective sort of talk about the container and being sort of um, aware of what you need to do to protect that part. Yes. Porous and open to things like, you know, seeing the poster. Yeah. And to also being aware of, wait wait a minute, I I can't take all that other stuff in because that's, that's just too much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to know where your boundaries and your borders are. And, you know, yes. that's why I think I think a certain amount of discipline is so important. And I think that's much uh, more something you develop as you get older as an artist is that yeah. knowledge of your own boundaries and borders and discipline and structure and, you know, how to create form and you're not afraid to experiment. There's all kinds of things that happen to you to help you evolve. And that's yet at right. the same time, you can look at your first book and you may not see a definite development till your to your most recent book because it's just maybe different aspects and angles of yeah. of your art yeah so it's you know to me the best publisher is one that says uh you're this entire being you're not just your latest book for three months yeah you know exactly yeah that's right yeah there's there's a there's a there's a life here, not just like a slice of it. There's yeah. a whole life of, of, of being an artist, and poetry is sort of the the way that you're working through through life. Through yeah, art, and allowing it to sort of move through you, and you move through it, and and how wonderful that is, you know, to, to sort of see what comes next. That's why I mean, I think about the poet Louise Gluck. And, oh yeah. Um and 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 she too would have sort of she's realized part of her method, if I remember correctly, from some of our interviews of having sort of time where she isn't writing yes, and not knowing that there would be the next book, but realizing that's part of her process to have sort of this dormant time yes. before things kind of appear again For um, sure. and, and just having the trust in that. Yes. I think that's probably the hardest part. I mean, I yeah. personally hate lags where I'm not writing something. Yes. Doesn't mean all of that fortunately gets released. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. These poets that are too prolific publicly, you know, sometimes there's like, okay, let's draw back a bit and chop a bit more. I mean, I love having a hundred page manuscript going into it and chopping it till there's 30 poems left. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. a glorious feeling, Yeah, you know, yeah. standing back a bit. And really see what's needed. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And of course your yeah. editor can help with that or your publisher can help with that if they're committed mm. to your vision, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I love yeah, about Will Second Win, you know, with, you know, press we both share because, you know, well, they've been personally with me for 20 years. And I mean, yes, I publish with other presses, but they've been, again, the core. Yeah. And Noelle yeah. has, has always had belief in me overall. Yeah. Even when she rejects particular manuscripts, she still has the belief in me overall. Oh, I love and that, that Yeah. That's great. Because that, that's the thing as well, too. There's a different way of looking at it and, and that sense, too, of underneath that 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 is still there yes going back to core i think that's that's our word for this it is the word (laughs) core Core. goes with catherine it's got that yeah that's right that's right yeah yeah yeah. it goes with or which is gold (laughs) or which is alternatives that's right oh i love that word yeah it's it's like there's possibility right there absolutely okay Mm -hmm. so what do you still love about Canadian poetry about the world and what are you looking forward to with the pandemic hopefully you know ending ish like this I love the sense of community and the sense of our love of poetry um bringing us together yes I mean I think about I'm new to podcasting I've I've been doing it now the hummingbird podcast with Jessica Outram and and I've just so enjoyed it so much because it's really allowing that space to have um, conversations about what matters to mm-hmm. you and allowing the conversation to be its own art form as well. Yes. So um, there's something really um, special about that. And I think because we've been so isolated, 
running lots of conversations with ourselves or, or the people around us or our cats, or, <laughs> right? Always. So it's kind of nice just to talk and, 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 and not small talk. No. I, I'm just, I'm not into small talk. Me neither. <laughs> Why waste the time, you know, yeah. just delve I mean, I know deep. small talk's needed. I mean, I get it and so on, but. Um, with strangers, yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. In the elevator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but, I know. I'm um, always disappointed. To be able to, to, be able I... to talk about poems. And also, I mean, thank you for allowing me to talk about this poem. It's it's not something that you generally do. You sort of get yeah. out there and then you're engaging with it again, thanks to conversations like this. Right? That's right. Yeah. That's what I, I wanted with these podcast interviews is to have something really specific. And then, of course, you know, have a structure, but if other questions come up as they always do, let that happen yes. organically again as well. That's right. And then yeah, have kind of, kind of like your lesson plan as a teacher. And then yes. wait, no, let's nope. go here. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. Remain flexible that way. Yeah. And then have more broad general questions that you can enter them any way you want that are more yeah. something you look forward to hearing at the end of a podcast. Like this is all different. And then this is different answers, but still yeah. similar questions. So, yeah, yeah, figuring that out. I mean, I think the podcast is just fantastic because the as a medium, because I, I remember always wanting to work for CBC and wanting to be on the radio and then thinking, oh, this is just, how is this going to work for me? I don't right. even want to go to broadcasting yeah. school. I just want to be on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so, so podcasting has really opened up that whole world for everybody you know it doesn't cost anything you're you're you know you need a laptop and a, and a phone yeah. or you need you know yeah. go and have a coffee with somebody and your phone i yeah. find it so did funny your, did your uh, title for your podcast just appear to you yeah it did yeah. yeah i mean i've always been fascinated by the outlaw and of yeah. course i've always been fascinated by the lyric and yeah so somehow ms lyrics just came yeah. to ms lyrics and then it was like okay. poetry yeah. outlaws of course because <laughs> Poets are, no matter how much they in are. the system they yeah. are, they're outlaws. Mm -hmm. And they I generally are. tend to be, to gravitate to those poets who are some way doing something different. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. that's, that's how we have to be brave in this world is. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And, and, and rather to quote, follow the fashion of what's going on, to follow where we need to go. That's right. Point. That's right. Yeah. Because we only need to answer to that. We don't need to answer yeah. to anybody else. No. Right? No. I mean, the poem, exactly. the poem is my master, and this is not... <laughs> yes. or, or mistress, I don't know, or, or non-gendered yeah. entirely. Yeah. Be being who tells me what to do. <laughs> That's right. Well, the poem always knows more, right? Like, we surrender, too. We, always. We, uh, yeah. So very true. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, Catherine. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I hope we can chat in the future and, and, and maybe in person uh, yeah. back in Toronto. Maybe that we can read together. Uh, that would yeah. be terrific. Well, thanks so much. And, and uh, can I take a picture of you on Zoom? Would that be possible? Oh, God. That's scary. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You send me a picture. How about that? Okay. Okay. That sounds good. I will. All right. Thanks oh, so thanks much. So okay. Good. Have a good thanks afternoon. So Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws. Don't forget to support her on Patreon and stay fierce, word musicians.